This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott, Dan, and Abby are making it fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're gonna keep you wheels turning. The fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Oh yeah! Hey folks, welcome back to another fantastic episode of your fabulous learning nerds. I'm Scott Shooty, your host, and with us again this week, he's back, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man, Mr. Coonrod. Mr. Scott. Dan took the dramatic pause comment I made last week and has made it even more dramatic, folks. He has done exactly I don't I don't know if that's purposeful. <laughs> he has done exactly what I would hope he would never do, but that is okay. Sir, how are you been? How have you been this week? What's your week been I think, like? You know, I think everybody knows. Fair to Midland. So the question I have, will that joke ever get boring, I guess is my question. If By the way, if you folks are done with the Fair to Midland drop, please email us at learningnerdscast at gmail.com and say, I'm done. Just put it in the header. I'm done. And we'll see how many emails we get on that drop. That's true. My eventual goal is to just basically be replaced by drops like just have everything i say just be a drop that that's my eventual goal <laughs> okay mr drop has said his piece let's go ahead and bring in our second host <laughs> who has interesting things to say i'm sure abby dawson's in the house everybody <laughs> Abby. Hey, Scott. How you doing, Abby? I'm good. How are good you? Man. I'm. Oh, well, I'm not fair to Midland. That's for <laughs> sure. I need a drop for myself. I'm actually doing great. You and I talked about this, so I've said this many times. It's my favorite time of the week. Get together with my friends and meet amazing people, which is great. And then um, also, I think things have slowed down to a manageable level. We came out of the gate in 2022 with this idea that we were going to build something amazing and do it in a week and now we're to a place of okay we did we killed ourselves to prove value and now things are mellowing out which is great just yeah. really fantastic how about you good i am curious though um i don't know how many of our listeners caught it but is dan's chair still squeaky dan <laughs> 
Is that enough of an answer? <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear that. No, I hope that. everyone's it's, enjoying this great I mean, radio we're putting together for you. We're here yeah, for people. We, <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is the height of the art form right here. I know. Like, this is the moment, everybody. The great thing about the great thing about this is that it will soon come to an end with real content because, ladies and gentlemen, we have a real amazing, interesting guest with us today. Craig Lloyd is in the house with us, everybody, and he's got some amazing things to share with us. And we're going to get to know all about Mr. Lloyd in a little segment we call What's Your Deal? Hey, man. What's your deal? Craig, sir. Hello. How's it? How's everybody? We are fantastic. Craig, what's your deal, man? Oh, wow. Well, my deal is... You know, I've, I've spent a number of years in, in operational leadership running training teams and uh, mostly internally and then and client facing. And, and I kind of just reached a point um, in my career where I kind of asked myself the same question. What's the deal? This idea of like, where am I really going with this? I've been doing it for so long. And I was invited to, to kind of step into this world of learning and organizational development within the human resources department at a software company. And I thought, yeah, this translates like, this is great. This is facilitation and curriculum development and organization. And I, I got in there and realized I had no idea what I was doing. Um, that this, this concept of, of, uh, you know, organizational maturity programs and leadership development programs were, were completely outside of my skill set. And, but it, but it was a space I fell in love with. And I did, and I realized that the operational leadership within an organization contributed massively. And so my new deal became people uh, and this opportunity of helping people grow and develop. I was uh, asked and forced, we'll get, we can get into that, uh, to take an HR business partner role, which was also a, a big shift. And I, I learned that those two things, this, you know, marrying of L&D and, and HR is a critical piece to helping organizations become successful. And so I've really made that my deal. Like, how do you bring these two things together? And then uh, I added a, a big piece to that just this last December when I attended a certification program through UC Berkeley to become an executive coach. So that's also another kind of tool in my tool belt that I bring to this idea of, of helping organizations, organizations mature. And that's really my passion right now is, is stepping in and helping companies. I kind of identify their own niche when it comes to, to people development. Love it. I think that's fantastic. Now I'm going to peek behind the curtain because I know a little something about you that our audience needs to know. <laughs> Could you please I know you don't want to talk about it. I'm happy to talk about it. I want good, good, good. <laughs> Could you please let your our audience know about your unique hobby because it's amazing. Yeah. So in my personal life, I'm a really dedicated uh, ultra marathon runner, and ultra marathon is any distance over twenty six point two miles, which is a marathon. And so I I prefer to run anywhere from you know, 50 to a hundred miles at a, at a pop. I've run a hundred miles or more, I think 17 different times. And yeah, that's just something 
I'm, I'm really passionate about. And I, I tie that to my other passions, whether it's, you know, mountain climbing or, or rock climbing, backcountry skiing. So I'm a big adventurer and that's ultra marathons kind of like the big piece of that. And that is like a, for the people who don't know about ultra marathoning, and I've just learned about it a little bit the past year or so, it's not just you go out and run a crazy distance, which is just nuts enough. But you guys do it with like limited aid stations and in remote parts of the world where like there's not great footing. Some of these guys and, and women are running through like, you know, briar bushes and through the night. Like it's a crazy sport. So, oh, yeah, there's yeah. there's, there's <laughs> you know, there's hallucinating um, at, you know, 10,000 feet elevation at four o'clock in the morning. There's, you know, doing adventure runs where they're completely unsupported. And really all you have is a, a water filter some gummy bears and a frozen bean and cheese burrito that's spent the last four hours warming up against your back. And, <laughs> you know, and then you go run for 12 hours. And so, yeah, there's a whole, there's, a, you know, there's the dark. Really selling it. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? He said, I said, really selling it. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, everybody, it always sounds good. The facade's beautiful, right? This idea, this, this concept of like, yeah, let's go, let's go run 50 miles. And then you realize that there's a whole undercurrent of things that you have to do that really aren't, it's not a pretty sport. (laughs) And I was thinking that one day I'm going to break the 30 minute 5k for my age. And here you are like, wow. I'm just like totally impressed. Like, my knees would give out. They would probably explode, to be all honest with you. Um, so that's great. And I know we're going to get into some of the things that I think translate. You've got some articles coming up on goal setting, which is going to translate. I'm super excited um, to learn more about your experience in L&D and HR and also hear about, oh my goodness, all the wisdom that you get from pushing yourself, which I think is unbelievably incredible. So folks, let's go ahead and dive into our topic of the week, shall we? Hey, so this week, Craig's here to talk about the Human Resource Learning and Development Partnership, right? And so I think that uh, to some of us, we're scratching our head going, what partnership are you talking about and so let's start there shall we like uh um sometimes i feel like there's like this big disconnect between learning and development and hr you think they go hand in hand like peanut butter and chocolate but they don't so help us understand why that might be yeah and that's a great question i think to understand it you also it's probably important to tell just my short story of how it happened when when i moved into lnd i was i did it for about a year i was was launching some cool programs and and we had some good learning programs some people development programs and uh the head of hr came to me and asked me if i would take a, a role as an hr business partner and i told her there wasn't a chance in hell um, I would do that because being a business partner just sounded like the most horrible idea ever. I didn't want to fire anybody or lay anybody off. I didn't want to have to tell somebody they couldn't be given a promotion. And she she said, well, I know what your career goals are. And if you ever want to run a people organization, you have to have business partner experience. And I said, okay, that's great. Maybe I'll find another line of work. <laughs> <laughs> and... 
And she's, solid. she said, well, that's cool. You're welcome to do that. But one of our, our main business partners is going out on maternity leave. So you're going to cover four anyway. <laughs> and all of this was said with the most caring and, and you know, best understanding because I admire her as one of the best bosses I've ever had. And so it was, it was, it was more tongue in cheek than anything. And what I learned in that role within the first two weeks when I had to lay off a couple of people was that I found a passion for that work that translated directly to L and D because I liked being the person who could balance the needs of the organization while also delivering a message oftentimes a, a hard message to employees with empathy. I could control the message and, and help people through that process, which I found directly tied to things like, you know, the emotional cycle of change, which is a big, big area of focus that um, I use within L and D to help, you know, leaders, give them the tools to, to help their employees process through change. And, and that really came from business partner work was knowing how to put that into action. I taught it, but putting it into action. And then, and then the other piece that I really learned was this idea of strategic partnership with senior leaders and executives as a business partner to step in and have a seat at the table and know that when you can be a confidant, when you can, be a sounding board for their ideas and a voice of reason as you represent the employees and the needs of the business, all of a sudden you bring balance to a place that's oftentimes governed by numbers or revenue or some other metric. And that became a resource for L&D to win executive sponsorship for the programs I was doing. And then the final piece of that is that simply HRBPs own, in my opinion, own a piece of the, the L&D process as far as helping execute on some of these things. So when we think of learning and development, which is this massively broad topic, everything from, from onboarding training and, and technical product and soft skills training to organizational maturity and development programs like performance management and succession planning and talent pools, high potentials programs, all of these different areas. A lot of things, if it's a learning program, the L and D team may be able to execute on that directly. But if it's a people program, a lot of times you need a business partner to really be the, the, the resource to execute that. They might be the ones who are making sure that all of the individual managers and, and senior leaders are getting their performance reviews done because they're the driver behind all of this. And so when you're having constant conversations and partnership between L&D and HR, you have a much better flow of how you can influence the business through that partnership. And that's, so that's where I found this real appreciation for how those two things are married. Awesome. I, you know, one of the things you brought up, which I think is really important from a level set on a really kind of a grounding position is this idea that professional development and business impact are mutually exclusive. And a lot of organizations feel that that's the case. Like you can't, you get, you know, you can't make people better and 
really you know, improve business impact. So we're going to focus everything on business impact and forget about the people quotient. And I'm here to say like, that's the biggest can of malarkey I've ever heard in my life. Like you, you can do both. Like I, I, and actually the opposite probably would be better. Let's make our people better and then give them the, the tools necessary to, to add business impact. Um, you can do both at the same time. So I, I feel like that's a, a real challenge in today's environment because I feel like we're in this pendulum shift of 2020 hit and everybody went, what the, and not a lot got done. Let's just raise our hands. Like, how do we deal with this new world anxiety that we all live in? And then last year was the, oh, well, this is how we can uh, navigate in this world. So let's over-index on the work because there's not a single person that I talked to from last year that didn't go, oh my God, I killed myself in 2021 because of that pendulum shift. So we're in this pendulum shift of you know, productivity at cost. And I feel like there's this like happy medium. And that's what I love about what you're talking about because you really need to be focusing in on this this piece of, you know, that partnership, HR, L&D, um, people impact and business impact, all of that can live in the same space. And I feel like we've had a lot, many decades of not understanding that. And it's showing in the space right now. So whatever we can do to get there quickly and the organizations that can get there quickly are going to do really well. And those that continue to spin things up from an anxiety perspective to get performance because performance is what's important are really going to suffer um, from a talent perspective. Oh my gosh, I just preached for two minutes. I apologize. That was not <laughs> what I intended to do. Well, you, know, um, you know what's really, really good? Do you want to drop the hallelujah <laughs> drop? Yeah, that's probably not a problem. You know what's interesting about that is you can quantify all of that. And you can quantify it in, in more ways than what we traditionally think of in the space of like L&D. When you talk about it, business impact. So two companies ago, I was working down this path of tying in, all, tying in all of these different data points and being able to say that, okay, the leaders who attend the, the most frequent leadership development trainings then follow. So we have attendance scores. We also then have survey and feedback from them around effectiveness. And you start to tie in data points and look at areas of like, okay, the leaders who, who are invested the most in their own technical and you know, skill development, let's start tying that to attrition numbers. Let's start tying that to upward feedback surveys around those skill sets. So anytime we would deliver like a quarterly training, we would follow that up with a you know, a simple survey to all of their employees around this, those skills that were delivered to that leader. And if they also have the highest upward feedback scores from their employees around that, they have the lowest attrition, you can also look at productivity numbers and say, wow. And you start to see this correlation between, uh, you, you know, attrition numbers going down, productivity numbers going up, right? Efficiency numbers going up. All of this stuff is tied together. So business impact is always more than just culture. We tend to some, I think we oftentimes think of L&D as like, oh, here's a culture thing, right? We're a culture of learning. We're a culture of growth. And that's how we, we prove effectiveness because our, it's, we've upped our glass door scores. But you can actually measure business impact through it, through the effectiveness of leadership and their own development.
Scott, are you? <laughs> I was waiting on Scott to jump in. No, I, when you said win executive sponsorship, that rung with me. Like I mean, it was like, yes, that's, that matters. Um, because going back to like, there've been so many roles I've been in where they're like, just do the training about how to push the button and when to push the button. And I'm like, it's bigger than that. Like they have to understand that pushing the button down the road leads to their bigger goals that, you know, everyone else really cares about. Nobody cares about the button. We care about the bigger goals. But if we can't have those relationships um, and those conversations, those things never ladder up. Um, and to your point, you, you eventually see it in the data. You see it in attrition and, and skill set. Um, so I think the littlest pieces always have to relate to, touch to, have a relationship with the big stuff. Organizations that have the highest participation levels within any development program, those that have the highest ones also have the most actively involved executives. That's just, it's a fact um, that when, when you lead from the top down to push people development, you always have more success. But if you don't have that executive sponsorship, it's, a, it's, it's an uphill battle that you almost can never win. You know, it, it costs so much to train somebody, but it costs more to replace somebody. So like every time, like I'm, I'm you know, learning development guy through and through, but every time, like, I'm like fighting to get like executive buy-in, like it, sometimes it, it flabbergasts me. There's my fancy word for the day. It flabbergasts me because it's like, Hey, if, we are just like shortcutting our way through training, shortcutting our way through talent acquisition. Like we're going to pay for that. Like you're saving a dollar today to spend $10 tomorrow. Like, I don't know. I, I, I'd have to, I don't want to quote without knowing the exact source, but I, I'm, I'm just about to, but it's like 50% of somebody's annual salary to, to replace somebody. So like, if you, if you've got to like bring somebody on, get them trained and then either they're not the right fit because you're not spending the time and focus on your talent acquisition, or they're not the right fit because you're not spending your time and focus on learning and development and personal growth, or they're just not the right fit because of a combination of both of those. You're just shoveling money into the furnace. Yeah. But to that point too, Dan, and when Craig, when you said, I don't want to fire people, I was like, yeah, that sounds awful. I don't want to fire people either. But um, I think when we don't do our jobs well or understand that relationship, like, not helping someone grow and do better, I guess, is like firing people. I just don't have to be in the room when you do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. In learning and development. Being in the room's hard. And that that oftentimes is the hard part. But there's also there's also a, a message that can be given in a way that, you know, you said it yourself. I mean, companies, no matter how much companies like to, to preach, we're a family. We're a family. You're not a family. Companies aren't a family. Companies are a, they're a community. And, the, and a community suggests that we all pull our own weight. And when you have that understanding, and if you don't pull your own weight, then maybe there's a different community where you're going to fit in better. Now, it's not to say that you're a bad person or that you're a bad employee. This just isn't the right fit. And I've had to, I've had to help fire people and deliver that message around, hey, you know what? You're a great person and you have, you have good potential, but your potential just doesn't fit within the scope of what this job requires of you. 
And so as an HR business partner, I used to always coach leaders to say, if you're firing somebody, if you're having to let somebody go because of performance, it should never, ever be a surprise. Nobody should be surprised for being let go for poor, poor performance. They should show up to the meeting and be like, okay, thank you. I, you know, knew this was happening. And, and I said, if there's, if, if they're going to, and I used to actually ask that to the leader before we went into these, I'm like, are they going to be surprised? Because if they're going to be surprised and this is your problem, not theirs, it's a leadership problem, which then, and here's it. So here's the big wow moment, which is now an L and D uh, like that's an L and D function is to help them get past that hurdle so that they're having those appropriate developmental conversations with their employees on a regular and predicted predictable basis. And so that's where I see another, like that's that marriage between these two things. And if, you know, I've, I've always made it a habit as an L and D leader to have regular one-on-ones with the HR business partners. And just say, look, talk to me about your leaders. Who are your leaders that you're coaching, that you're working with? What, where are the ones that you see need help? Where are the ones? How can I do that? How can my team step in? What are some of the biggest weaknesses that you're seeing kind of across the board when it comes to people management through this lens of, a, of, of an outside business partner? All right, let's take some of that feedback and see how we can embed it into some of our development programs. And you can really start to bridge gaps there. Because if you just go to the business and say, hey, what do you want to learn about over the next, you know, six months, they're going to probably rattle off the top five topics that they've heard most recently on some cool podcast. I don't know, maybe this one. (laughs) So I'm working on a project right now at work where we're developing some new trainings where we're going to tell employees what they should be doing well and how they'll be measured. And as we're starting to like draft all these out and decide who, you know, our partners are going to be, um, who's going to weigh in and tell us what these things should be. I said, well, who, what's the plan for leaders and managers to assess these and then coach on them? And they were like, well, we haven't thought about that. I was like, we can't, they have to go together. Those that we can't roll out one without the other. Um, and it was a great conversation and it made us realize like we had to reach out to more people. We had to be working with HR and we had to think about like, Long-term, what does that culture of coaching need to look like? It's a young company and they're just figuring those things out. But um, it was one of those moments where we're like, we're moving from a place where we're telling HR, we'll host your sexual harassment course in our LMS to, no, we got to like sit down and talk. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting thing. You, you said something there that I find, I always find uh, really interesting, this idea of like, well, it's a young company who's just trying to figure it out. Well, the last two companies I've worked with have been around for 16 plus years, respectively. And they're still trying to figure it out. All, <laughs> most companies are still trying to figure it out. And the reason for that is, is because they didn't invest enough time and energy into L&D early on to make it foundational to the organizational culture. If you look at, if you look at the big companies who have been doing this for decades and decades, Intel, um, Procter and Gamble, uh, even, even like Amazon and some of those other ones that, that made L and D like a, like culturally foundational to who they are as an organization when they started, these aren't, these aren't even, 
they don't talk about this stuff because it just happens. It's there. And so I, I love seeing the fact that's one of my kind of my new course that I'm going down from a career perspective is going into these smaller, younger companies and saying, hey, let's get you off on the right foot. Let, let me. So what does that, yeah. what does that process look like? So like if you were going to walk into where I work and we said, this is something we just realized, like we have this disconnect, where would you start? Yeah, you, you start with some executive workshops. And you, you start to get their buy-in, you, you get their mentality around how do we want our culture to fit? Because a lot of people think of culture as perks, right? We have, we have good work-life balance, we have half-day Fridays, we've got free soda and snacks and a ping-pong table. Those are perks, that's not culture. And so when you really start to, to, to do a workshop with an executive team around what is culture, it almost always comes back to people development. And if you look at the data and I, I'm not going to quote any, cause I don't have it at my fingertips, but I read a lot of like research studies and, and articles. Companies who companies who really understand it know that, that what separates one company for, from another, when it comes to hiring in a competitive hiring market is who's going to invest the most into the development of those employees, because that's what we're all really trying to do is grow in our careers. So it always, it really always comes back to L and D who's going to be able to get me down my career path. Who's going to help me grow in my career. Not just, not just, you know, ladder up the ladder, but maybe laterally into more, into more in different jobs that give me greater experience and an understanding of, of other positions. Those are the companies that are winning. And so when you have that, that conversation early on in young companies with the executive team and you get that buy-in right up front, like this is going to be who we are. And what does that look like? Because it, it looks different for every company. It should look different. I don't think, I don't think a lot of companies understand that, that there, there's an authenticity that goes with L and D programs that needs to fit the company and, and the industry and the culture and what they're trying to achieve, that if they do it with authenticity, they, they're going to be successful. Um, I, you know, I, my first foray into all of this was actually when I was an operational leader over a customer facing training team of like corporate trainers that just spend all their time flying around the world training on software. And because I was a passionate leader in the business, I was asked to join this kind of uh, leadership tiger team where they brought in several HRBPs. We had the CHRO, we had the head of L&D, and then we had a couple of, of spotty leaders. And we started to go down like, what does, what does uh, how do we define high performance in the organization? How do we how do we define leadership development and professional development within the organization? We started having these regular conversations. And the very first day, I remember this so vividly, probably two or three different people came walking in with books. And it was a book on, you know, here's what Google does and here's what Amazon does and here's what, you know, XYZ company has done to be successful. And, and the conversation immediately turned to this idea of like, well, what could, what did they do that we can just kind of buy, unbox it, plug and play 
to get the same results of them. And I like to believe to this day, I like to believe this is the number one contribution I made to that entire experience. I said, you know, in my personal life, when it comes to running, mountain climbing, just living my life, I said, I believe there's two kinds of people in this world. I said, there's the kind of people who read about what somebody else has done to be successful, and they try and ride their coattails to their own personal success and from a company perspective to a company's success. Or they're the type of people that live a truly authentic life, who forge their own path, who do things in a totally unique way. And at some point, maybe somebody's going to write a book about them. I said, I don't know about you, but I want to live the kind of life that when I'm old and gray, which is really close, I hope somebody wants to write a book about me. And that's the kind of company I want to be a part of. I don't want to be the kind of company that went and bought something off the shelf and plugged it in and hope it was going to be successful because we pushed and pushed and pushed our leaders to do it. I want to create something totally unique. And I want to do it in a way that's authentic to our company values and the way that we treat our employees. And if we do it well enough and we do it with enough passion, eventually somebody's going to come in and say, wow, I want to write a book about that company and what they did with their employees. So that's where I've really put the focus of my career is around helping companies do something that's authentic when it comes to, to employee development and engagement and the entire employee life cycle. I love that. I a hundred percent love that. Like uh, that's, that's so fantastic. Just two things you said, like just really hit me. One, the idea, this is from a couple minutes ago when you said like, hey, like we're not a family, we're a community. I think every time a business says we're like a family, I kind of roll my eyes. Uh, but the idea that a, uh, work as a community is, is way more accurate. And I really like that. And also just like this idea of like companies trying to be the next blank or copy like what other people are doing to be successful and then getting really lost and really frustrated because that's not their culture. I uh, I worked with a team one time and we were trying to define culture just for a project we were working on. And somebody said, it's all the rules that we know, but nobody has told us. And like, I was like, I was, it, I was just like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And crap. Now, how do we, how do we define that in a way that makes other people understand it? But yeah, no, that, that hits yeah, so it's, hard. It's, that's awesome. Yeah, go ahead. Let, let me ask you. Ooh, uh, I'll turn that. I'll turn the, the question on you. How would you define culture? Like we've talked about a lot. So, but how would you define culture at a business at a company? That's a, that's a good question, and I'm trying to, to come up with a succinct answer. I would I would likely define culture as. really the influence of the employee life cycle that it has on driving the business forward. And I think that that's a critical piece is that we oftentimes in companies 
try to separate uh, culture from business model. Here's what we do as a company and here's how we treat our employees. Here's what our culture is. But I think the companies who are killing it out there are the ones who have figured out how to use culture to drive to drive business objectives. And I'll, if I may use an example, a, a company that I'm a huge fan of, um, I've, I've gotten to know the founder and uh, CEO, Davis Smith. So the company's Cotopaxi. And when, when Davis Smith started Cotopaxi, if you're not familiar with Cotopaxi, they're an, they're an outdoor, essentially like clothing brand. Um, they kind of live in that outdoor space. Very unique. And Davis Smith, when he started the company, said, I, I, want to, I want to build a company based on the culture of who we are and what we want to try and do, which is give back to the communities that, that help make the company what they are. So whether it's they have a factory in Bolivia, they have a factory in, I believe, the Philippines. Um, if, you, if you're not familiar with Cotopaxi, they're, they're known for having like these little wild backpacks that day backpacks that are multicolored and crazy. And people think, wow, that's really fun. But what they don't understand is that the factory workers in Bolivia are choosing the color schemes. Nobody's telling them what to do. It's not sitting on a storyboard. Like that's, they built this culture that drives business objectives. And that's what makes them unique as a company that now you're starting to see stuff pop up all over the place where companies are trying to emulate that. But they're doing it out of authenticity to say, we want our factory workers in other countries to feel like they have a stake in driving the business forward. And so what do they let them do? They let them bring their cultural, the cultural aspect of being Bolivian into the products they sell. I remember I, or in fact, I ordered, and this was another piece that I think is beautiful. I ordered a, a, I can't remember what it was, a Cotopaxi jacket or something. Uh, no, a back, a little backpack. And I got it in the mail and inside was an, a handwritten note by the factory worker who sewed it. Thanking me for, for purchasing this. And they were, you know, they said they were from Bolivia, I believe. And that was so moving, this combination of culture to drive business objectives. And it's those things alone that like, that makes me want to come back. And there's, there's other great companies out there doing things just like this. And so I think that's how the two get married together. That's what culture is. It's the employee experience tied to, to driving business objectives. You said something when you were, awesome. when you first jumped that. in, where you said, you ask him, well, what does that look like? I want to go back to it because I feel like we went over it a little too fast. And I think it goes into what you were just saying, that there are all these conversations that will happen when people are trying to talk about culture. Well, they say, well, we want a culture of openness and a culture of honesty, and we want a culture of learning. And then a lot of times people just assume they understand what that means without asking, well, what does that look like? What does that look like in, um, in our PowerPoint? decks? What does that look like in our difficult conversations? What does that look like in our hiring program? Um, and for me, I've always been like, I need those concrete things to really understand what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm the obnoxious person going, so what does openness look like um, when you're coaching about 
a call going too long? What does that look like? Is that just like, say it, it's, it's, it really helps me. Like, I'm like, I need to know when I'm making the training on it, what's going to happen next. Um, so anyway, I don't know if I was going anywhere with this question. But going, <laughs> to me, that was a significant aspect of what you just talked. You're about. going into a place that, um, if you thought I've been a, a little bit excited about what I do to this point, you're going into a place where you're going to hear me fully spaz out. Uh, because <laughs> where you're really going into is is the cultural side of val- of company values, right? And there's two things that you said that really stick out to me. One is that companies who don't actually live by their values, you know, they say that oh, one of our values is we're employee centric. Well, then why do you have 46 percent turnover rate year over year? Right. You're not employee centric if you have high attrition. Number two, it's this ambiguous singular word. So this is where I'm this is where you get to hear about ultra running. <laughs> <laughs> because this is this is now the space where I'm starting to to write. Um, and I'll have a I should have a LinkedIn article. It's already written, I'm just editing that I'm gonna put up on LinkedIn here in the next week. And it's when when I after running several 100 mile races, I had been asked to be on a couple of podcasts or I would get asked by people just um, in social settings, how are you able to run 100 miles? And I would always just have this default response of, I don't know, I just never told myself I couldn't, which was true. Uh, I never once since I started running told myself I couldn't run 100 miles. It always just seemed something that was extremely plausible. But the the answer always felt empty. And so after several years of kind of giving this answer, I decided I need to get to the root of this more. And so I started to drive back. Why do I run? Why do I run? And as I started to kind of go down this own race, this own idea of why do I run, I got back to this concept of like values. And so I started doing research on values and, you know, you can, you can find these activities like Brene Brown has this wonderful activity of like, here's a hundred cards with a word on them. And you take that, you whittle it down to 20. And then out of that 20, you whittle that down to two to four. And then you, you file the, the remaining 16 to 18 underneath those two to four. And those are your core values. And those are your supporting values. And that's neat. That's a wonderful, that's a, it's a very like face value answer, but because what I found was like, Oh, when I did this activity, I found like, wow, I run for health, but what does health really mean? Right. Abby, when you go back to that idea of like when companies say, here's our value, it's people. Oh, well, what does that mean? What is, how do you, how do you qualify a value in a single word? A value is a statement of who you are at the DNA level of who you are that you want to scream from the rooftops. And so I said, okay, well, you know, I run to be healthy, which just seemed like this massively broad term because I'm not a healthy person. Uh, (laughs) Let's be honest. I don't run for physical health. Uh, I have, I have what we call a popcorn problem. Um, and my, my wife movie popcorn specifically, I, I, uh, I have that same problem. Yeah, I, I understand. I sweat. I could eat popcorn every day. Yeah. I sweat movie all day. I sweat movie theater butter. Um, 
And so it's not, health just didn't seem to work. Excuse me. So I started to drive this idea backwards again, go deeper, go deeper. Why do I run? And here's the statement I came up with. I run because my emotional and mental health is tied to physical activity. Okay, that's really interesting. Well, that means that explains why I was a religious six-day-a-week training rock climber for 15 years. That tells me why I, you know, loved love mountain biking, why I climb mountains, why I ski throughout the winter. And so this statement, this value of my mental health is tied, directly tied to physical activity, all of a sudden became this statement of who I was. And so I started to explore that a little more and go, wow, well, if this is my core value, that's really driving this behavior, what are, why these particular activities? Like, what are my, what's my beliefs around that? So my beliefs that are tied to that value are, well, if I'm going to have to be physically active to keep my mental and emotional health in check, then I, it, it needs to be fun. That's, that's important to me. Like, so why do I run? I run because it's fun. And I know this sounds really weird, but I run until my muscles cramp and I start hallucinating and puking on the side of the road because for some reason that's fun to me. (laughs) It's type two fun. Sure. But it's still fun. Uh, The other thing it needs is it needs to be outside. All of a sudden this idea of like, why doesn't Craig watch sports ball? It's because most of those sports are played indoors and I like doing physical activity indoors is not a draw to me. It has to be outside, which then as I went down this path of trying to understand all of my core values, I realized that outdoors was also tied to my value around spirituality because my, my value for spirituality is that my spirituality is embedded in nature, right? So now I have these belief systems, these beliefs that cross over between my values. It's a beautiful thing. So has to be fun, has to be outdoors. And then the third thing is has to have a little bit or a lot, maybe don't tell my wife risk has to include risk and risk can look like risk to my life, but it can also look like risk of failure. And so this idea of running a hundred miles is a pretty high risk activity, both in the sense of like, you're oftentimes in very remote areas. So there is a significant risk to your safety. Um, there's wild animals and all sorts of things, but there's a high risk of failure of not managing yourself well enough. And so now I've got this wonderful picture of my emotional and mental health is tied to physical activity with this belief that it has to be fun and it has to be outdoors and it really should include some risk. Wow. The natural output behaviors of those things all tied together if I'm living authentically to those beliefs tied to that value would be that I just love to go running for hours and hours and hours and hours because it feeds that belief system. And that's why I'm able to run a hundred miles because no matter how hard it gets, no matter like how miserable I am, I'm so in love with who I am in that moment. Now imagine you're doing that at a company level. 
Imagine you you understand yourself as a company, as an organization well enough to know your values to that depth and then what your behaviors are and the associate, I mean, not your, your beliefs related to that and the associated behaviors that you're going to look for. Now, all of a sudden you start to infuse that into your talent acquisition team and your hiring practices, you're, you're, you're embedding those expectations, those behavioral and characteristics into your job profiles. Those things are tied directly into your leadership and employee development programs because you're now looking at not just outcomes of like, oh, I want to do a training to get this outcome, but instead I want to get a training to feed this belief through a certain set of behaviors. And, and then what you're going to get are, you're going to be feeding those beliefs. You're going to be feeding that value. You're going to be tying it to, to business objectives. And now all of a sudden you have this idea of like L&D embedded in culture. And you can feel the human resource piece tied into that as well. I absolutely love that. We've had, how many conversations guys, guys have we had about like finding the right motivation for a training? And I don't know if I've ever thought about the difference between pushing someone to an outcome and feeding a desire to achieve something, but it's pretty significant. Well, it's a carrot, it's a carrot and a stick, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. It's the carrot and the stick. You can, you, can, you can lead them with a carrot and you can feed them. You can feed them this desire to be engaged in, in the program. Or you can tell them that if they don't show up, they can, they're going to get written up, right? I mean, what's going to work more? Wow. Great, great stuff, Craig. Uh, yeah, great. So listen, we're um, sadly coming to the end of our time together, uh, but I would love to have you back on. I just totally, uh, and I'm in it, I'm shook. I'm just, wow. I'm, I'm inspired. Um, I want to re I'm actually going to rethink some things I'm going to do tomorrow because of what you had to say. And I think it's really, really important. Right. So Abby, you hit the nail on the head. Like, I don't want to make my people care. Right. So it's one thing, like what's going to be new or better or different when we're done, which is great. But do they care about it? I don't know. Like in my line of work, I got to get money to care about it. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? So I think that that's fantastic. That goes back to the value is money. And is that the right value? <laughs> it can be. Yeah. Sure. Uh, it it factors. Yeah. <laughs> may have to fire my client if it's not. You know what I'm just saying? We talked to Kara last week. So, Craig, could you do our audience a favor um, and let them know how they can connect with you? Like, where, where are you at? What are you doing? What can they look forward to? All that yeah, absolutely. So, I'm on LinkedIn, Craig Lloyd on on LinkedIn. You can, you can find me there. I uh, have a very public page. And, again, I have a I have a, I think one or two articles I've written on like your work heroes and, and topics like that, but you're going to start seeing some stuff coming out around values and goal setting. We haven't even gone into goal setting. Wow. That's a whole other conversation. Whew. Don't get me started. And uh, so you can find me there. I actually have a new kind of business related Instagram account where I kind of give quick, quick little snips. And that's, I believe the Instagram account is Craig Lloyd. 32. I'm just double checking. I've only had it since around Christmas. 
And so, yeah, Craig.Lloyd32 is my, my new business Instagram where I talk a lot, a lot about these different concepts. And, and then if you want to, <laughs> if you want to see the running stuff, uh, I do have, I actually have a YouTube channel that I post to regularly that's called Trail and Ultra Running. And you can watch some of my crazy running adventures there. So that is fantastic. So folks, be sure to check in with Craig. He's got some amazing stuff to share, not just with running, but with this idea of leadership and people development. You are an inspiration. Thank you so much for showing up. I would like to have you back. Thank you. You're Appreciate great. It. You were great. Daniel San. Yes, Scott. Could you do our audience a favor and, and let them know how they could connect with us? Absolutely. All right, party people, if you haven't already, email us at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Join in on the discussion, ask us any questions, tell us your overall impressions of ultra marathoning and four-year-old frozen burritos needed by your body warmth. Maybe not. Maybe don't do that last part. Uh, if you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. And lastly, for our Instagram peeps, Fab Learning Nerds. Scott. Thanks, Dan. Hey, everybody, if you do me a favor, please hit subscribe. Hit that subscribe button down there and share this podcast out with your friends. We'd love to get more of the word out. Um, if you're getting us from a podcatcher like iTunes or Stitcher, please do us a favor. Leave us a review. We'd love to know how we can improve. We'd love to know what we're doing well. And quite frankly, it helps us grow the community. And with that being said, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. And I'm Craig. And we're your fabulous learning nerds, and we are out. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.